Men, you are listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by Tribe, a discipleship community within the Pursuit of Manliness. To find out more about Tribe, go to thepursuitofmanliness.com forward slash tribe. Deadline to sign up, November 30th. At this time, I'd like to welcome uh, Bob Russell to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. Bob, thank you for taking time to be on the show. Well, sir, I'm glad to, and I'm hearing some good things about your podcast, so thanks for asking me to participate. Would you just um, you know, take a few moments, maybe introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, and kind of um, what you're, you're doing right now? Well, I, I'm 75 years old, so to introduce myself takes a long time. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in a great Christian home in northwestern Pennsylvania. My dad was not a preacher. He was a blue-collar worker, but we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And uh, I did not think about being a preacher until April of my senior year and some circumstances came to play and I decided that's what God wanted for my life. And I went to Bible college in Cincinnati and preached for a year at a small country church outside Cincinnati. When uh, this church in Louisville had just been started contacted me and said, you know, we are a small church, but we think we've got great potential and we tried to get a middle-aged man, and both times uh, we've been refused, and we think God is leading us to a younger man. Would you be willing to come to this church that's still meeting in the basement of a house, but grow along with us? And it was a golden opportunity. I felt like I was way out of my comfort zone because I was from the country. This church was in the city, and I just had a BA degree in Bible and uh, from Bible college, and this church was uh, full of people with PhDs. And I came from a very small church of about fifty people, and this church had uh, potential to grow large. But I came, and I was twenty-two years old, and uh, but I gained confidence in teaching and preaching the Bible. You know, uh, when God's word says that. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and is able to penetrate the thoughts and the intent of the heart. I discovered that that was true. And uh, as the Bible is preached and I sowed seed, God gave an increase, and over I stayed 40 years. They couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> and uh, the church grew from about 125 when I went to, it was a little over 18,000 when I left 40 years later. But it was a tremendous experience. It wasn't without pain. Like every minister, I went through some, some problems. But I was privileged to share this, the Word of God and, and sow the seed on very fertile soil. I really feel for some guys who sow seed on hard soil. I was on really fertile soil. But I, I retired from the local pastor in 2006. I had two guys on staff who were great preachers and were anxious to lead, and it was time for me to step aside. And I spent the last 12 years uh, doing mentoring groups for preachers and uh, doing some Bible studies for small groups, traveling and speaking, and uh, also uh, writing a blog every week. I, I was married a girl from Bible college, and we had two kids. One is a preacher now, and the other is a policeman, and I've got seven grandchildren. So that's 75 years and two minutes. Well, I've been, I was privileged enough to uh, serve with um, one of your sons, the one that's the pastor, and uh, be at the, the first campus of that church where you um, were the pastor over in the mm-hmm. southern Indiana region. So um, I, we talk about fruitful. Your ministry was incredibly fruitful, and I feel like it's still being felt today. But you did that by serving Jesus, but also trying to get you out of the way. You know, in a sense, it's not, it wasn't. 
your church. It was it was God's church, and I think that's why it's been so fruitful and so impactful, not just in that region, but across uh, the globe, certainly. Well, sure, people would say to me uh, after I left, after 40 years, they would say, was it, was it hard to leave? And in a sense, it was. But in another sense, it wasn't. I read one time, uh, something isn't hard to give up. If you remember, it wasn't yours in the first place. Hmm. And that's what you're talking about. If, if we can lead, but remember, this is God's church. It's not my church. There's yeah. going to be a church here when I leave. There was a church here before I came, and I'm just the temporary steward of it. Well, you, you had a very uh, faithful and fruitful ministry, as you talked about, for decades, and you're writing and, and preaching to this day. And um, what are some of the changes maybe you've witnessed from that you know, 20-some-year-old um, young college guy going into ministry to where you're at today as you write in books and blogs and stuff um, when it comes to the church and, and people that are engaged with the church? Well, I've certainly witnessed a lot of changes over 50-some years. And some of the changes have been positive. Now, I, I've seen the denominational barriers come down, and I think that's really good. I've seen the church uh, become more concerned about some social justice issues, that, and that's good. We ought to be concerned about racism. We ought to be concerned about caring for the disabled and things like that. So I've seen the church get more mission-minded, and I think that's real positive, too. And then... Well, we've seen a lot of methodology changes. I mean, in my lifetime, I've seen unbelievable changes in music, from old hymns to praise songs and contemporary music. I've seen uh, a lot of changes in dress. <laughs> I used to wear a suit and tie to, to being casual. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard me tell the story of when we hired Kyle Eidemann. He was 26 years old and just as sharp as he could be, a great preacher. But he came in to me after he's raised six months and said, you know, Bob said, I know you've got this policy, you've got to wear a suit and tie when you preach here, but I don't feel comfortable in a suit and tie. I don't think I relate to my generation in a suit and tie. I feel like a hypocrite in a suit and tie. <laughs> and I said, well, Kyle, we're worshiping Almighty God here. And if you went and visited the President of the United States, don't you think you'd wear a suit and tie? I knew I had him. <laughs> but he said, he said, no, probably not if, if uh, the President were my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of an answer, so I said, okay, you don't have to wear a suit tie. So I have to recognize that's, a, that's not a biblical principle. That's a that's a changing method. So we changed dress. But, you know, one of the things I've seen change that's not good, I, I've seen uh, the average commitment of people in the church is not as strong as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was growing up, if you were a regular attender, you went three and a half times a month at least. But today they consider a, a regular attender somebody goes like 1.2 or 1.3 times a month. And it's really harder to get volunteers and people's commitment isn't as strong. But the culture changes. I mean, that's the big change. Uh, I've seen a culture in America go from being a pro-Christian culture to a neutral, spiritually neutral culture so now we're a culture rapidly becoming hostile to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was growing up, even people who didn't go to church acknowledged that there was a common consensus of moral values in the Bible. But now that's no longer the case. So the culture is so, so different that we're, we're trying to reach now. Uh, after About 10 years after I retired, that's some two years ago, I was on a panel over at the Southern Baptist Seminary 
I was on a panel with uh, two professors from the school, and we both made, uh, all three of us made opening statements. And then the first question from the group, so a preacher, and the preacher said, what do you think a preacher should do if a transgender wants to become a member of the church? Well, fortunately, these two professors had made that a study, and they'd written papers on it, so they went on for about 10 minutes about if this, if that. Came my turn to answer, and I said, you know what I think? I think I retired just on time. (laughs) 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we didn't have to deal with that. Right. But preachers today, I mean, the culture is changing so rapidly that it's, it's preaching... To be a minister or a leader in church is a wonderful calling, but it is a tough occupation, and it's getting tougher and tougher because the culture's changing. We were talking about this on another con- sorry, on another context. That do you feel that you see this in churches that the, the tension then is to be as rel- I hate the term hip, but as relevant as we can to a lost world to try to attract them then we tend to water down what we're really called to do, which is preach the gospel. So we try to become Chuck E. Cheese almost to them to say, hey, will you like us now? And they're like, no, the Bible tells us there will be division amongst truth and light and darkness. Yeah. On the one hand, we want to, the goal is to speak the truth in love, of course. And then Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that's a tough balance because if we love lost people and we want to win them, and there's some teachings of Jesus and some teachings of Scripture, and I think a lot of them, that are me to turn off. John Stott once said that evangelism is prickly at times because it calls people to repentance. So there's a real temptation either to be silent on those issues or to water them down to the extent that, that we're not really standing for truth. You know, I've, I've heard a well-known preacher saying that he's not going to preach on and it's say anything about homosexuality anymore because that is such a polarizing issue and it eliminates his opportunity for evangelism. But I, I, and I can understand that, but we have to remember our first calling is not to be sensitive to the seeker. Our first calling is to be faithful to God's word and to preach the whole counsel of God. So I, I think that the preacher today has a tremendous challenge to speak the truth boldly, but to do it in the world. And that's not always easy to do. Since you um, stepped out of preaching every week and, and leading at a church, you, you write a weekly blog that um, I feel like does a good job of at least embracing topics that could cause tension, um, specifically um, cultural issues. You had the Kavanaugh hearing. You have a Q&A on there. There's some other things on there. You, I, I don't know how long you've wrote this blog, but what makes this so impactful, I think, is it's written through the lens of a biblical worldview. Um, could you tell us why writing your blog or even preaching through a biblical worldview is so important? Well, my, my last 10 years of ministry, I wrote an article for The Lookout, which is a, a national magazine for Christian churches. And my sons came to me and said, Dad, you know, it's three or four months between the time you write that article and the time it's published. If you want to reach today's audience, you need to write a blog. So I, I conclude that they were right, because I mean, you're, you're, you're able to write on what's going on yesterday. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I, I just felt like if I'm going to write uh, about what's going on, I need to, to bring the, the biblical perspective into uh, committee events. 
you know, a lot of people can make political comments, but I, I wanted to bring what the Bible has to say about these issues. And one of the reasons is that I see um, fewer and fewer people willing to speak out, because when you speak out or you write in this culture with social media, you are going to take some hits. Mm-hmm. And people can be nasty. I, I get some nasty comments and, and uh, some uh, unchristian comments. And you have to develop a tough skin. A friend of mine said, well, if you're going to carry the ball, you're going to get tackled. <laughs> so I, I think fewer, fewer and fewer guys are speaking out. But I, I write this blog so that I can encourage preachers and church leaders to speak out and to be bold and courageous. And uh, uh, I, mean, I, I just, right now, studying through, reading for devotions, reading through Jeremiah the prophet. And boy, Jeremiah wasn't very popular with the the political correct people of his day. All right, you go on to John the Baptist. He didn't hesitate to speak out and say, hey, Red, you, you're not, you're living with your, bro- your brother's wife. That's not right. He didn't say, well, that's the world acting like the world. I have a right to comment on that. We're just going to keep silent on that. <laughs> no, he spoke out. And Jesus was, we talking about Jesus being full of love, but he was so kind of person who got crucified. And we look at prior to World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is considered a hero today, because he took a stance against the policies of Hitler. And the preachers who were accommodating and didn't think they regarded as cowards. And uh, I, I was greatly influenced by Chuck Colson, and I thought Chuck Colson did a great job of, of standing for a biblical worldview in, in the culture. And I don't have any delusions that my blog is going <laughs> to convert the world, but I do hope that it will encourage preachers to stand for biblical truth. And I hope it'll encourage parents to teach their children. One of the things we're doing, when, when, we, when we're silent on these issues in the church, we say, well, we don't want to alienate the seeker. We're losing our own kids because they're yeah. getting bombarded with the world's propaganda at every turn in education, entertainment, friends. And if they don't hear something different in the church, we're going to lose them altogether. So I, I just think there needs to be uh, somebody out there trying to bring the biblical worldview in, into the, the culture. And let me say one more thing. I'm rambling on here, but I think the best way for preachers to do that is to preach through the Bible. Rather than say, okay, we're going to do a series on hot-button topics, and we're going to talk about cohabitation, we're going to talk about homosexuality or abortion. That, that's good. But you know, if you just preach to, if you, if eighty percent of your preaching is just biblical preaching, every one of those topics is going to come up in the natural study of Scripture, and people are going to say, "No, he's not riding the high horse." Here's what the Bible says. I think they're reinforced by the teaching of, of God's word. Man, I I absolutely agree with that. We did a series through Mark that took us a little more in a year, and there were certain. Topics, divorce was one in particular that I thought, I don't want to teach on this. I know I have people who are divorced or who are, you know, we're coming out of a really bad relationship. And we, we say often that the reason why we believe preaching through the Bible is it makes us address topics that we would just easily step over or avoid. And it also lets your people know where you're going next. So if I ended at chapter 11 this week, it's chapter 12 next week. And oh, so, it is so good. I, I preached in first Corinthians. I got to first Corinthians six and it says, don't take your brother to court. 
I said, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> I don't want to talk about why we don't take up out of the court, why we don't carry dirty laundry in public and really forgive. And, and it was an okay sermon. Well, I didn't know that we had two deacons in the church and a business partnership, and they had just had a falling out, and both of them were considering suing me up. Mm. And when they heard that sermon, they both backed off. Now, if I had not gone through that book, and I had waited for six months, and all of a sudden, we got two deacons suing each other, and I said, I want you all to try to first Corinthians 6. I want to know shouldn't sue you. Well, that, that's going to be a, a, a blast. But, you know, the Holy Spirit knows about needs sometimes we're not aware of. And if we just preach through the Bible, it's amazing what happens. It's aware of God is coming. Well, I think, too... As the, the the pastor, sometimes we can always be focused on what our people need, which we should. But sometimes the Holy Spirit's convicting us first and foremost about these issues. And so, if if Satan's going to attack, he's going to attack the head, if you will. And so, um, going through those makes me wrestle with things in my own life instead of just preaching things. Going, I'm going to fix that person and fix that person, and that's never going to be that's never going to work. Well, that's a great point. You know, the Bible says the Word of God is a double edged sword. Use it to cut, it cuts other people, it cuts there too. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes I say, "Boy, I'm convicted here. This is this is me." Well, one of the things that, as I said, we talked about, you know, even before this, is we um, is the biblical worldview idea, and I think this is important because we. If we engage culture based on feelings or emotions or what's popular, the Bible is pretty clear we will be tossed back and forth instead of keeping our eyes focused on eternity. And a biblical worldview allows us to see things beyond our current perspective and see things through God's perspective. Um, How would you encourage someone to begin to work on and develop a healthy biblical worldview in their life? Well, I heard years ago called facts, faith, and feelings. And that's a proper sequence. And our world is so into feelings. Feels good to it. And we follow your heart. We do the same thing in the church. You know, we talk a lot more about inner guidance than we do God's absolutes. But uh, there are facts to be believed, and there we respond by faith. And then feelings are the byproduct. But feelings are not the driver. They're not the foundation. God told Abraham, there's only some eyes I got in the mountain sacrifice him. I guarantee he didn't feel like doing that. <laughs> the, the command was the opposite of what he felt like doing. But he believed something so strongly. He believed that this promise was true. Of Isaac, there would be a great nation. He believed that if he killed him, God would raise him from the dead. And so he was willing to be obedient because of his belief. And of course, we know God intervened as a ram in the thicket. But as, as Abraham came back down, down, I guarantee he felt good. You know? But the feeling was a byproduct. It wasn't the basis of, of his faith. And I think we've got to convince people that, uh, you know, the basis of our faith is are these uh, basic doctrines, and they're going to stand regardless of how you feel. I went to fly an airplane years ago, and I dropped it shortly after I got my license. But one day, the instructor said to me, he said, Bob, I'm, I want to teach you to fly by instrument in case you ever get in a storm. You cannot rely on your feelings. Mm. He said, you get tossed around, you can lose your equilibrium. And uh, so when that happens, if you can't see anything but clouds, you've got to rely on the instruments. And he took me out to practice area. He said, okay, fly the plane. And I had a hood over my face so I could just see the instruments. 
I'm telling you, I felt like we were banging hard left. <laughs> but the instrument panel said we were climbing and flying. And I had to force myself to go counter to my feelings and fly according to the instrument panel. And eventually, my equilibrium returned. Mm. And we get so jostled around by this culture. People don't know right and wrong. But the Bible is our instrument panel. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right on the land, the end there, over the ways of pain. And we said, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? This is our instrument panel. And if we force ourselves to go according to the Bible, eventually our spiritual equilibrium returns. So, I, 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 again, I think that we've got to keep coming back to those basics as leaders of the church and reminding people of the inspiration of the Bible and why it's our instrument panel and communicate this to our kids and to speak up around the table, speak up in conversations and uh, say, hey, the, the world's it's a storm out there, and you're going to get jostled around, but here, here's God's instrument panel. What does it have to say? I just believe you cannot shortcut... You know, real spiritual gro- spiritual growth will lead you to develop that biblical worldview. We we say that we want to be men of God in the Word of God, changed by the presence of God. And so, as I get in the Word of God daily, I just read Second Samuel uh, twenty one today, and there's seven guys getting hanged. There's this you know girl mourning over these, just all kinds. And you just go on if I just read it on the surface, it makes absolutely no sense to me. But when we start to find the heart of God and what God's doing through the nation of Israel or through you know, through the, as you referenced prophets, they had a horrible rough life. And uh, when you see what God's trying to lead them to do, you realize um, our feelings are incredibly deceptive, as you said about flying that plane. And it, we need to find the heart of God behind these things. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I have a saying in the sermon I preach on first Peter that we've got to move from being emotionally driven to biblically driven. And everybody expects me to say to be reason-driven. But human reason isn't reliable either. I mean, uh, come down and let us reason together since the Lord. Uh, You you better be reasoning with the Lord. Because uh, the the human reason comes up short. And there are times you're going to look at the Bible, you pick out a passage, and people are going to challenge you with the Bible, and say, hey, that doesn't make sense. Well, I come... This one where humility comes in, I think. You've you got to come to the Scripture, come to God's Word with a humble spirit. God, I believe this is true. This part I don't quite understand yet, but it's in there for a purpose. Please enlighten me. And I think having a biblical worldview is beginning with the sovereignty of God and the authenticity of His Word. And, and I think what you were referencing there was Isaiah 1. If you go back to that, he has laid out, you know, in a sense, I'm tired of you going through the motions. And, and, and he's going to ultimately go to, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And the reasoning is God's reasoning. And, and we have to get back to that. And there's so much freedom in that. You know, I think we see it as oppression or being handcuffed or, you know, a straitjacket. But God wants the best for us. He didn't wake you up today just to mess with you. He's got a plan for you. And, uh, Man, you find that by being connected to him and his word and his people. Years ago, I had taken a stand on the cultural issue, and a member of the local council asked to visit with me. And he had been, at one time, a preacher in a very liberal church. And uh, when I came to explain my view, 
I quoted scripture to him. Here's why I have this news, what the Bible says. And he came back to me and said, have you ever had an original thought in your life? <laughs> and you know, at first I grizzled up a little bit, but you know, well, I took that as a compliment. Because what he's saying is, can't you reason yourself? Can't you feel yourself out of that old, old book and, and come to a better conclusion than that? And the answer is no. I, I, I believe this is true. So if you think it's I because I haven't had an original thought, I'm going to go to the on God's well, Bob, I appreciate your writing and, 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 and your ministry, how it continues. Where, If someone's listening today and, and they want to get in touch with your blog or what you're currently doing, uh, where's the best place to send them? BobLoselMinistries.org. All right. Well, Bob, I, I can't thank you enough for making some time. And, um, man, I appreciate your heart, appreciate your investment in the local church. And um, uh, thanks. Thanks for being on this podcast. Yeah, I just want to encourage everybody that the church is faithful and stay and be joyful and Amen. Men, once again, I want to thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. I hope this episode was equipping to you in some way. As we continue to raise the standard of what it means to be a man of God, we want to help men pursue biblical manliness. If you're looking for any links or anything from the show, please go to thepursuitofmanliness.com. There you can find uh, the episode podcast link. You can find details about the guest and a description about what we talked about. Of course, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Pursue Manliness. On iTunes and YouTube, if you go there, search The Pursuit of Manliness. Please click subscribe. You'll never miss any episode, interview, or any content that we talk about here at The Pursuit of Manliness. Once again, thanks for listening and keep pursuing biblical manliness.